Welcome to the In Plain Language Podcast. My name is Kelsey, and I'm the founder of Multi the Blue Tiger Bilingual Children's Books, found in homes and classrooms around the world. I'm truly so excited that you're here. You want your child's speech and language skills to thrive, which is exactly what this podcast will help make happen. Every other week, we'll be bringing you direct, tangible advice and tips about speech and language from top experts around the world. These are the language tools that will make an incredible difference in your child's life. Be sure to pick up your copy of Multi the Blue Tiger, available in English and Spanish and English and French on Amazon today to help your child learn new language skills and embrace their unique voice. You certainly don't need one more reminder that we're living through unprecedented times. After all, you can probably see that all around you. But you'll also be able to hear it in language patterns. Today, we're going to talk about what this means for your child, and in particular, how using video chat regularly might change the way they and their peers speak and interact with teachers and each other. But before we get to video chat, it's worth noting that if your family is bilingual, your child's language skills were likely polished over the past few months. According to an article in The Atlantic by writer and Columbia University linguistics professor John McWhorter, one effect of kids spending more time at home with family is that children in bilingual families, in which the home language is spoken at home and the community language is spoken at school, are spending more time speaking their home language. In some cases, it may be the first time they've used the home language at home all day, every day, since they were toddlers. McWhorter also notes that there now may be a cohort of children with even more of an oral and pictorial view of communication than they would have had otherwise, favoring communicating through speech and pictures over text. In social media language, think TikTok over Twitter. Dictionaries like the Oxford English Dictionary and the Merriam-Webster Dictionary have rushed to record the linguistic impact of the past few months and to add new words to their dictionaries. Kids today will grow up familiar with words and phrases that weren't commonly used before, like social distancing, flattening the curve, self-quarantine, and PPE, an abbreviation for personal protective equipment dating back to 1977, but previously usually only used by healthcare and emergency professionals. In a post for the Oxford English Dictionary, executive editor Bernadette Payton said, it is a consistent theme of lexicography that great social change brings great linguistic change. And that has never been truer than in this current global crisis. Kristen Surrett, PhD, Associate Professor of Linguistics at Rutgers University, notes that even using video chat specifically affects our language and children's language. It's really amazing because you might think it doesn't make that much of a difference or it shouldn't because we're looking at the person, we're talking, and so we can pick up on a lot of facial cues. But I think there are a lot of ways in which it alters the way in which we interact with that other person. Um, So one of the ways is when you have your own camera on and you see yourself as you're interacting with that other person. We're not used to that. And so there's a lot of, you know, self-consciousness, like, is that the way I look when I'm talking or when I'm laughing? You know, these are moments when we're supposed to be able to let our guard down. I think for from a child's perspective, this is that much more unsettling. If I think about it from a, a, 
a child who's a kind of typically developing child um, who doesn't have a learning disability, who who is not um, struggling with a cognitive disorder, um, and that child is is already facing, you know, this kind of pressure of how am I looking to my peers? How do I interact with them? Are they really paying attention to me? Are they looking at me? Are they looking somewhere else? And so there's kind of that like, you know, self-consciousness that I think already is there when you're kind of socializing in development. But I think the the video aspect of that increases things. And then if I think of someone who who struggles with an anxiety disorder or maybe has an attentional deficit disorder, um, it's that much more difficult for them to pay attention, for them to pick up on cues or for them to focus, right? There's a lot more going on. And so I think from a child's perspective, um, at, at any age, it it throws in a lot more variables that they have to deal with. And I say this as a mom of, of a child who has ADHD, I see how much my daughter has um, has struggled to maintain some kind of structure on her own in this period. And then having these video interactions, um, it's, it's hard. She has to be that much more on guard to keep herself focused when she doesn't have the kind of real life interaction that she's used to um, in, in a conversation. What's more, video chat affects the ebbs and flows of a conversation and even the way we gesture toward each other and our language patterns. If you've been video chatting with coworkers or loved ones during this time, you may even have noticed yourself that there are more pauses in the conversation and maybe even uncertainty. For instance, is my coworker finished or is she going to say something else? Did she pause or is the connection just cutting out her voice? Or perhaps you even noticed gestures like waving goodbye at the end of a conversation that weren't there before. In video chat, we also tend to monologue more or spend a few minutes speaking without others interjecting or adding on to what we say, says Surette. Wrapping up a meeting is so much different and you say goodbye, but then you put it in the chat and you say it verbally and you wave and then you wait to make sure that it's really winding down. No one has an additional question. Um, what I've noticed in teaching this past semester and in having different um, interactions with other adults outside of the classroom, you know, just casually or as part of a, a meeting group, um, is that um, there's part of what I think is a little bit different is that there's more of a pause, right? So when I'm teaching, um, usually I wait that, you know, they say wait seven seconds for someone to ask a question, but then you have to add on seconds to that for, you know, all of the Wi-Fi issues that people are struggling with or, um, you know, taking time for whatever you've said to get communicated via WebEx or Zoom or whatever platform you're using. And so there's an additional time that you have to wait. And that moment can be kind of suspenseful, right? Where you're like, uh, is I, I just asked a question, is nobody responding? But then you have to kind of take into account that there's this technology issue that's kind of increasing the time. Um, so that wait time is like, I'm waiting, I'm smiling, I'm, I'm kind of giving everyone the chance to, to interact or, you know, to jump in. Um, so that, um, you know, that's not something that's going to take hold those, you know, the same way that you talked about the waving, but that is an aspect where I've been having to adapt, you know, that kind of pause where you ask a question and you're like, 
is anyone going to, is there going to be any uptake? Is there anyone who's going to like answer this question? Um, and then there's also this um, related to that, I think, is like how you interrupt people. Um, and so, you know, somebody says something and then there's like somebody already talking over them and then you want to say you're sorry, but then you want to wait. And so it's not the same as like seeing that someone's going to say something because you see that their body movement is, you know, like when you're having a conversation with someone in, in real time, in real life um, or, you know, in person, you can see if they're like leaning forward or they're like, you know, putting their finger up that they want to you know say something or they're about to open their mouth that it's that much harder to pick up on those subtle cues that someone wants to do some turn taking or jump into the conversation because, you know, in a, in a video chat, if you have the gallery view on you, you see maybe, you know, eight, 20 different people. And you're like, you're not able to pick up on all those little subtle cues. Um, and you're also not able to kind of calibrate um, whether or not you should be kind of wrapping up and letting someone else jump in, right? Because um, you don't want to give up that time. Um, you also don't. You also don't know if, like, we do a little bit more monologuing, so you, you don't know if this is like this is your space to talk, and then someone else is going to take over. So I think that kind of like turn taking and knowing when to jump in or not interrupt is is I think altering the way in which we kind of pause and, and, uh, interact with each other in the conversation. You know, if I, if I don't want someone to interrupt me, um, because I'm trying to continue what I'm saying, and maybe I'm going to say something that's a little bit more conceptually or linguistically complex. And so I'm kind of pausing to help myself plan that utterance. I might use certain disfluencies like, um, so, and you hear, you know, you hear that I'm like still talking, but there's something coming, right? I think that we we're doing something different over a video chat when we do that, because the connection is not always so clear. Not everyone can hear that. Not everyone's paying attention to that because there's like vacuuming in the background or things dropping, phones going off. So that kind of prosodic cue isn't as valuable in the course of a video chat as it is when we're talking face to face. And I, what I've noticed is that people are doing other things to make sure that the conversation doesn't move to someone else too quickly or that they're kind of holding the space. Adults can do that more adeptly. I'm not so sure about children. Um, and I get the sense that children are doing a little bit more monologuing than they are interacting in the course of, of video chats. So I don't, I don't know what that means about how they're kind of keeping the space or um, you know, holding the floor for themselves. And, and so it's gonna be interesting to see if there's a kind of developmental difference between them. Um, there, there might actually be differences in, in facial interaction too, you know, to make sure that you're giving these visual cues to know that you've checked out or you're still paying attention. And again, there's, there's an open question about how savvy children are um, about that, not even consciously so. They don't even have to know that they're doing it. Um, but that's, that's something that can definitely be empirically investigated to see what they're doing in the absence of being able to kind of recruit all of these other cues that we usually use. Um, so I can't like put my finger on like, here's the thing that I would, I would suspect, but I kind of, here's the kind of 
um, way in which I think that we're interacting in a different way that where there could be certain things that come about as a result of that. Video chat can impact students' behavior differently depending on their age, personality, and so forth. I think that there are actually pros and cons that have um, been associated with this kind of teaching. I, you know, I had to be really creative about trying to find different ways to get those, you know, those quieter students, those more active students to kind of even it out a little bit, call out their names a little bit more. I always, I always memorize all my students' names by the second class, but this, and that was crucial. You know, I haven't heard from you, Max, can you jump in and say something? So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I, I think some of the, the quieter students, really liked that they could just say something in the chat area and ask their question there or chat to me personally instead of saying it to the whole class. That was great for them. Um, it was also nice for them to ask me something offline. And then I would say, next class, I want you to try to ask this question, um, you know, with your webcam on so everyone can hear about this. It's a really great question. And for the more active students, I could easily say, it was nice that I could mute them. <laughs> that was fun. But like to be able to mute them and be like, all right, I've heard a lot from so-and-so. Let's hear from somebody else. And again, having that like 10-second pause to have someone else jump in. It really kind of, you know, you have to be creative about this. But I was, I think, able to level the playing field a little bit more with that remote instruction um, because I had so many different modalities of in engaging with the students and inviting them to interact with each other and with me. Um, when you read pedagogical articles online, um, one of the bits of advice that you get is to, to not think about teaching remotely as taking what you do in person and just transferring over. That, that won't work. And so I incorporated a lot of different ways to increase that interaction and keep all of the students engaged. And I had to be creative. So at at the beginning of class, every Monday, I used the poll function in WebEx to ask them a question based on the previous week's material. And this poll was a way of having them jump in and answer that was low stakes, and they didn't have their names associated with the answer. So this was kind of like, you can jump in, it's a soft open. Here's a question, for example, about um, the parts of the brain that are engaged in language production and comprehension, or here's a question about how long the critical period lasts or what kind of evidence we have for this particular aspect of linguistic development. When your child is in a familiar and casual place, let's say their bedroom or the living room, they also don't have the same environmental cues that might signify to them that it's time to speak in a slightly more formal way to a teacher or another adult as they would if they were in a classroom or a school office. When we're having a, a video chat or some kind of interaction on video, we see the context that the other speaker is in that they perhaps have chosen to present themselves in if they, if they have that option. But we're still wherever we are. You know, we're not in the same space. And so even if I'm, I'm looking at someone who's in their office space, if I'm sitting in my kitchen or I'm in my basement, <laughs> that might actually affect whether or not I'm able to do that kind of change of register or code switching. Um, I, whenever I teach, I always have a professional outfit on. 
Because if I'm teaching in my, in my gym clothes, but I only have like a nice top on at the top, I have this feeling that I'm like still too casual for, for teaching in the classroom, so to speak. Um, and I know not everyone approaches it that way, but I can't imagine that if someone is just wearing shorts with a nice shirt on top of them, that they can, they can present themselves in the exact same way as if they were in the office space with a full suit on or a full, you know, full professional, um, attire on. I, I think that, um, every, every aspect of our context affects how we present ourselves and how we speak. And we know language really is part of our identity. So if we're, if we're in a more casual space, um, if we're, if we're, you know, dressed more casually, or if we're kind of thinking of this being a time where I can like simply click a button and then that, that context is gone. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine that that doesn't affect our, our speech or our language and our identity in some way. And it's an interesting question. You know, what kind of empirical evidence accompanies that kind of observation? Um, and for those people who do more code switching, um, meaning going from one dialect to another, or um, who, who change between a more casual and a more formal register, it would be interesting to do some kind of like very well-controlled um, analysis of how their speech patterns are affected by that, even at a very low level, just looking at what we would call segmental cues, you know, looking at just how the acoustics might change just a little bit. If it's possible, it may be helpful to set up a specific spot where your child does schoolwork that's separate from where they rest or play. This will help remind them that it's time to quote-unquote show up for school. It can be as simple as working at a particular kitchen chair or in a corner spot in their bedroom. I mean, I think it's important to, to say to any parent, you do what makes you and your children most at ease and most able to, to function in a positive way. It's going to be different for every kiddo and every family. So what works with me and my children may not work with somebody else. For my children, I ask them to get up and get dressed and make their bed just to kind of get in the frame of mind of I'm starting the day and it's school. Um, but, you know, some days they might wake up later than others and that's okay. Um, I, I do ask for them to be in a different space than when they're kind of lounging around so that they have in their head, in their mind, it's like I'm in, I'm carving out my own space, however imaginary that is. I'm carving out my own space where I'm still in class or interacting with my peers and my teacher so that in their mind, that's different. Um, you know, a very effective way of studying is to make sure that in your, if you study in your bedroom, you have your study space and you have your kind of lounging space or your workspace. That again, is not something every child and every family can do. I mean, it, it really is possibly something of privilege to be able to be able to do that. Um, and I fully recognize that. But, you know, for my children, they have their their beds and then they have their like little space, maybe a beanbag or a, a desk or, you know, another part of the house where they can have those interactions. Every now and then we break that down. You know, I've let my son do a Zoom meeting in his bed if he's just way too tired or like lounging, you know, next to his bed. You know, some days are like that. But um, I, I think it helps to even if it's just a before this starts take a deep breath 
and think of yourself with your, your friends and your peers and your teacher. Like, even if it's just, let's just take a deep breath, be mindful and intentional about this and think that now we're going to be interacting with this group so that at least there's that kind of like mental change to prepare yourself for that. Um, but I think it's so, so important to just be attentive to how all of this is affecting children. Um, it, you know, it's, it's hard for them to, to do this all, um, you know, without the, the kind of face-to-face -face interaction and support that they get from their teachers who are amazing in their lives. Um, and to have to kind of juggle between all of these different flat platforms. There's a Flipgrid, there's a Google slide, there's the Canvas LMS, there's the big blue button, there's Zoom, there's this. And so they're toggling between all of these different technologies. We can't just assume as adults that because they're a more technologically savvy generation that this doesn't take a toll on them. Um, I'm quite sure it does. Language patterns won't be just about what you say, but what you don't say. As more people have moved online, it's quickly become a standard of politeness to mute the mic when you're not speaking. When it comes to politeness, it may also be important to remind children, and maybe even some adults, that we must treat each other with the same respect when talking over video chat as we would in person. There's a little bit more frustration, like, how dare you talk to your dog? <laughs> or, you know, like, how dare you, like, talk to your mom? Or like say you want a snack right now because now I couldn't hear this person say what we needed to do, and so there's a little bit less like patience and um, and like a little bit more like don't make a noise because like you know so if if not everyone mutes themselves like there's that like well now I've heard, now I can only see the, the the scene from the person who just made a sound right and so I've I've heard like my kids haven't done this but I've heard in other um, classes where somebody starts to talk and we can hear them and see them. And some other student says like, mute yourself, <laughs> right? <laughs> like you don't say that to people in real life. Like if somebody, if I'm having a conversation and someone else makes a sound, I don't turn to them and say, mute yourself, you know? <laughs> so it's like, when do you yell at people like that? You know, when you, you would say like, I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm trying to hear this person. And I can't hear what I'm trying to say. And they say, I'm sorry. Right. But instead we don't have that. We have mute yourself and the person like feels immediately bad and they mute themselves. Um, so there, I think there's like, you know, we're going to see a lot more like directives, a lot more imperatives, um, a lot more like, I don't want to be the one who makes a sound and like, oh my God, I didn't mute myself. And like now they can hear that I've been crunching on chips or something. Um, so there, there's, you know, there's, there's like lots of different, um, consequences for that. Of course, kids with special needs will have different experiences with video chat as well, says Zaret. I, you know, I'm not a I'm not a parent of a child with autism or with special needs, and um, and so I can't speak to this uh, from a personal perspective. But I do think that that's a perspective to really take into account with how this affects children, especially with the kind of pragmatics of communication and conversation. Um, there's so much that we try to pick up on as conversationalists that help to facilitate a smoother interaction with our other interlocutor. It's the prosody that they use. It's their hand gestures. It's their eye contact. It's, it's whether or not they're facing us or looking elsewhere, moving around, doing something at the same time. For those of us who are seasoned conversationalists, 
we know to pay attention to all of these cues and to juggle them as we're having a conversation in real time. I cannot imagine how much more challenging that must be for a young child with special needs or on the autism spectrum who doesn't do that as easily. And I hope that educators um, and, and people who have expertise in this area are actively working to help support those children. I think the, the people who go into special education, who go into occupational therapy and speech pathology, they're amazing people who have a heart of gold and, and they are probably miles ahead of me saying this. Um, but I, I, I really do think this is a, an aspect of this um, where we need to think carefully about students who have learning disabilities, who have ADD or ADHD, who, who are not as, um, fa as facile at, at kind of making use of all of these conversational cues. The more we can think about that, I think in turn will help the rest of us because those tools that help support um, individuals who face those challenges can also benefit the rest of us as well. But I, I do think that's a dimension that is an important one to take into account. We'll be back with a new episode of In Plain Language in two weeks. In the meantime, if you can write a review or subscribe to the podcast, that is light to everyone who works so hard to produce and contribute to each and every episode. We'll be featuring some of your reviews here, so stay tuned. For more language inspiration and tips, follow Multi the Blue Tiger on social media and be sure to pick up your copies of the book, available in English and Spanish or English and French, on Amazon today to give the kids in your life the incredible gift of language and confidence in their unique voices.